Welcome to the Punk Rock MBA podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock MBA. Today's episode is an interview that I did with my friend and business partner, Joey Sturgis, a couple years ago about growing up poor. You know, you may not know this about him. He doesn't talk about it a ton, but he grew up poor as shit. I grew up poor, too. Uh, you know, I guess it's not a contest, so I don't know who grew up more poor. But anyway, either way, I think it kind of colors the way that you see the world and the way that you do things, sometimes in good ways, sometimes bad ways. That is what we talk about in this episode. Before we get into that, there's a couple things you can do to support the show if you want to give us a hand. If you don't, that's okay, too. You can share it on social media. Tag me, tag the guest. It helps us a lot to spread the word. Number two, you can buy some merch if you want. I've got some new shirts. I've got some coffee mugs, some other cool stuff in the merch store. There's a link to that in the show notes. And number three, if you really like us, you can support us on Patreon. That is how we actually do this show because I lose thousands of dollars a year producing this show. But it is because of the patrons that are able to afford that, pay Deanna who makes the show happen. So thank you for your support. And if you would like to join the Patreon, there's a link to that in the show notes. And with that out of the way, let's get into this episode. Today I'm sitting down with my friend and business partner, Joey Sturgis. And what we want to talk about today is if you grew up poor like we did, we want to help you understand that it is 100% possible for you to achieve financial freedom, even if you don't think you understand how to do it, even if you think you don't understand how money works, because I know I didn't understand that, I bet you probably didn't either, it can be figured out. So I guess just quickly, I will tell my version of your life story and tell me if I get any of it wrong. Sure. Uh, So you grew up in basically bumfuck Indiana, right? Yeah. Um, Kind of like me, I grew up on welfare, you did too, and taught yourself how to first be a uh, gold music producer, uh, and then you decided you wanted to start a software company, so you taught yourself how to write audio plugins, which for anybody who doesn't know is really fucking hard, uh, and then you decided to start the company that we work on together, URM Academy, which is an online education company for music producers. So you started out basically, you know, from very humble beginnings and have done a lot of stuff that to me is pretty impressive. Uh, and I want to help unpack that for everybody who's watching this. So did I get anything wrong? No, that's correct, yeah. Well, I guess the first thing I would ask, like for me, it just never even occurred to me that I could do any of this stuff because I didn't really have any models who were successful like in terms of like uh, their careers who were like wealthy or anything like that. Nobody in my family until I was older, nobody I grew up with, I literally didn't know anybody who was living any differently than I was. Did you have any like models for this stuff or how did you like sort of get a line of sight that you could do this? Yeah, I guess the one thing that I'm really thankful for and I think we all are now is the internet which has been, you know, such a democratizing thing across all kinds of industries and so when I when I started um, I was able to go online and, and see that, you know, there are guys out there that are doing stuff and but it always there's always like a contrast and a distance, right? Like you look at you know, Andy Sneap, for example, um, one of the greatest metal producers of all time. And, you know, you see he lives in a castle and he records like these huge metal bands. And you're just like, oh, that's so far away from where I'm at right now. Um, But I also see that as motivation. And I think like for me, I was just driven towards the craft a lot. And so like I just wanted to learn how to EQ that kick drum just right to make it sound good. And so... A lot of the time I would be also driven by the idea of putting it online so that people from all over the world could hear how I EQ'd that kick drum and they could be like, 
you know, either like, oh, it's terrible or, oh, man, that sounds really good, you know, and that like kind of fueled me. Um, so, so just like the feedback from the community. Yeah, like feed, like, and so in the early days, you know, we were on this thing called the Ultimate Metal Forum. And it was a place where like a bunch of people who were really competitive, actually, unnecessarily competitive online, were trying to like make the best mix, right? And so like I was driven by that. And so we would all upload our mixes every week and try to have like the best kick sound or the best guitar sound or the best vocal sound. And everyone would pick it apart in the forums. And that really drove me. Um, but you could see, just through that experience, you could see that there were other people out there that were that were recording bands, making money. Um, it was a really tight-knit online community, but it was still widespread. You know, you, you had people in Ireland, you had people in, uh, in England, you had people in uh, Australia, and they were all on that forum doing the work that, that all of us home recording people were doing. And so that was also inspiring too, you know, and, and that a little bit of that competitiveness and a little bit of that inspiration um, would drive me every day. Plus, um, when you start working with bands from your area, they're going to come into the, into the ring with competitiveness as well. Like they're the local band from where their town is and they have a band that they want to beat and they have a goal to make their recording better than the next band down the block. And so... When you combine all of that together, you know, it, it kind of drives you to do a good job. And I think the lesson to learn here is that if you do a good job, then the money will follow you. And so I was never focused on like, oh, how do I like pay my rent? I was just like, how do I do a freaking good job so that the next person who hears that thing will want to come and record with me? Well, when did you first kind of start to believe that this could be your living and not only could be your living, that you might actually make a, a respectable amount of money at it. So it probably came somewhere towards, I mean, obviously towards the beginning, but like, I remember um, I set up shop in my friend's garage and uh, he was like, yeah, you can just come in here and mess around with stuff while I'm asleep because I get up early and I work. And so, you know, I go to bed early and I was the type of person to stay up late all the time. And so he gave me a key and I was coming in and messing around and so I started recording some bands and stuff and I'm kind of fast forwarding here but I got to a point where I was able to basically put myself online on MySpace and, and then get people in bands to give me like $100 a song. When I got to that point and it kept coming in, you know, I would take the next, you know, the band would come in, I'd record it, I'd take that song, put it, put it on MySpace to refresh my playlist to have something new up. So they were just doing like singles with you for Basic, 100 bucks a song. Yeah, like singles, EPs, you know, couple couple hundred here, couple hundred there. And the thing that really all made it make sense in my mind is that my friend was renting me the garage for $500 a month. So I was That's like, kind of a lot. <laughs> all I got to do is record five songs and I got rent covered and I can stay in here all month and I can do whatever I want. So I would get that five or 10 songs. And if I did 10 songs and boom, I just made 500 bucks that month plus played, paid my rent. And so I just kept doing this to the point where eventually like I got bigger and bigger bands to the point where some of the bands I was getting were signed. And uh, then I was talking to labels instead of bands. And now all of a sudden I'm like, uh, how about 300 a song, you know? And of course they're like, oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> so that's when I really started to be like, huh, maybe there's something to this. Hello everybody, I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan, and this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep 
into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. At least as long as I've known you, like you're very confident you always believe in yourself, or at least that's the way it seems. Did you ever have any moments where you didn't or where you questioned if you were good enough or whether you could pull this off or everybody has those moments? What were yours? Sure. So the first time I ever felt that was when I recorded, um, I recorded the Devil Wears Prada and we made an EP and I felt very confident about my EP, um, but only when I thought about it from the perspective of the band, I felt like, you know, I made this really great thing for the band. I made it what they wanted it to be. But then they got signed, and now all of a sudden I'm thinking to myself, okay, well now, like, a label has to like this. And now there's all this other people that are, all these fans that are going to come in, and they have to like it too. And so I was very nervous when they decided to hire me again to do the album. Uh, I was like, 
I don't know if I can produce a product that um, the label's going to like because I've never worked with a label before. But, you know, everyone sort of like was contributing confidence to me. You know, the label was like, oh, you're going to, if you do what you did on the EP, it's going to be great. And the band was like, yeah, if we just, you know, do what we did on the EP, but just make it a little better, it's going to be good. And so that kind of helped me hone it in. And um, so that went well, obviously you can see, like I've, I worked with the band so many times, we did like seven records together or something and everything went down in history. But there was this other time too, where I was extremely, um, uh, I, don't, I don't know the word, but this like basically a, a metal band came in, they were very intimidating. They were like, this has to be the best metal record ever made or something. It was like a death metal band. The band was Oceano. And they had like these hot, like like they just got this huge record deal with their label. The label is putting a lot of money into them. And they had like these really, really high expectations. Was this like their first one at Earache or something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, I, rem I just remember being like sort of intimidated. And um, so I went home and I thought about it and I was like... I know that I can do this. And so I came back that next day and I had a completely different attitude. This was like the second or third day into the recording process. And I came in and I was like, all right, guys, I think we need to actually have a meeting. And like, I've never done anything like this before. So it was super awkward for me to like, to like look at people in the face and be like, we need to have a meeting, you know? So I did that. They all like sat down, like lined up in a, on a couch or something. And I was just like kind of pacing back and forth on the floor in front of them. And I was like, I'm going to make this the best death metal. Like I just kind of gave them the speech that I was going to do a really good job. And that set the precedence for like, for one, it like eliminated any doubts that they might have had about me working on the record because none of them knew who I was. And two, it set this precedent that I was going to do a really good job. And so by doing that and putting that out there into the air, it sort of like held me to it. It was like a contract for myself, right? I was like, okay, well, now that I've said this, I'm going to look like an idiot if I don't do a good job. So that pushed me the entire way through the whole project. Like, even towards the end, I was, they were like, man, this mix sounds pretty good. And I'm like, ah, I think it could be a little better. And so I was being harder on myself than, than the band was. And, and so that really drove me to, like, do a good job. Do you ever have moments now, like, that you are a successful grown-up? You know, you go to nice restaurants and stuff like that. Um, do you ever ever have moments where you still feel poor? Because like I definitely do. <laughs> like when I go to restaurants like that, even though I make enough money that I belong there, sometimes I still feel like I don't belong there. Or like if I'm in a room with successful business people, like I feel like someone's going to kick me out because I'm the poor kid. Right. Yeah, I think about that all the time. It's it's interesting because it's like, you know, the first time you can afford to go to a place and they like serve you some caviar and all of a sudden you're like, well, I don't really even know how to eat this. <laughs> like it's, it's, I think everyone goes through that, right? Like there's always a first time for everything. And the people, people who are rich and like have earned it, they were poor at one point too. So they've had to learn what it is to earn money like that. And they have learned what it is to like maintain that and, and make that sustainable. And I think, the lifestyle that comes along with it is always going to be new and awkward and you just sort of find your way through it, you know, and, and sometimes you learn like there's certain things that come along with that that you don't necessarily have to like. It's not like every rich person eats caviar, right. you know what I mean? Like, and, I, and I don't specifically mean like, hey, how do you conduct yourself at a fancy restaurant? What I'm getting at is like that if you grow up poor, I think oftentimes like you 
carry that with you your whole life in lots of situations. Like, at least to me, like, it, it's like, it's almost like you have a stink on you, you know, and I'm always worried, can people smell it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, and I, I, and I don't think they can, but it's just always, like, in the back of my head in a lot of situations. Absolutely, and it's all about how you conduct yourself and how you think of, like, the perspective that you put everything in in your relationships when you're work, talking to other people or working with other people. Like, if I walk into a room of a bunch of, a mil- of millionaires and and I have this sort of feeling that I'm poor, they're all going to see me that way. But if I walk in there and I'm like, you know what, I might actually have something to contribute to this this room right now, this conversation. There's a reason why I'm in here. And if even if I don't know what it is, it's something. And maybe I won't find it out tonight or maybe I will, but it, it that always hones it in for me. That always makes me feel like, okay, like obviously I'm in this room for a reason and I probably have something that I a value to contribute to any conversation or, or anyone in this room. At least one thing. It's not like you just opened the wrong door yeah. off the street and like, oh geez. You know, like <laughs> your life led you there, so yeah. you belong there. Exactly. And I think that's true for everyone else in the room too, in their own way. Well, any last words of wisdom or advice or guidance that you might give to somebody who, you know, grew up poor, maybe they still are poor, and they feel like I did, I felt like just, I just assumed that I was always going to be a loser, you know, like, because that was just like my lot in life. Any words for anyone out there who might feel that way? Yeah, um, I would say the easiest thing that anyone can do to lose is to give up. And the hardest thing to, to really, like, embrace is persistence. And if you can, if you can be persistent and you just keep trying and keep grinding at some point it will eventually pay off and it's going to seem like forever but if you keep at it like persistence is the one thing that that people can't take away from you right if you like keep trying keep just keep punching that wall you might break some bones and and grind some lose some skin and stuff but like eventually you're going to break through and that's what I've always uh I've always just like if I have a problem in front of me in front of me, I just keep trying to attack it over and over again. And maybe if I find a method that doesn't work, I try something else. Or maybe I look at it differently or I approach the problem in a different way. Whatever it is, I'm always persistent towards what I'm trying to do and it eventually pays off. Hard work always pays off. You heard it here. Joey, thank you so much for joining me. I'm Finn McKenty. This is Joey Sturgis. This is the Punk Rock NBA. Please like, share, and subscribe, and we will see you next time. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. 
tag team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind podcast. <laughs>